This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, Trojan fans. It's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast. On a Wednesday, we got to talk some USC Trojan football one week past the uh, National Signing Day that really was anticlimactic for USC fans. But, of course, the, the big news came the day before that with the signing uh, of Caleb Williams. And we're going to talk to Gerard Martinez about uh, some Caleb Williams stuff because he's the big name on campus. Of course, Lincoln Riley making the rounds on the media. We also were both at the uh, press conference where we got to meet all of the or most of the new USC assistant coaches, so we'll kind of go through some of the interesting things all of those guys had to say since we haven't done a podcast since then. We did do an instant analysis video uh, up in the parking lot after after that, so you can check that out on uscfootball.com, but we can do a little more detail, plus we got to digest what they had to say instead of just walking right out of the that uh, press conference room and then talking about it right away, so we will get to uh, all of that kind of stuff. Um you know, talking about the quarterback situation and the future of that. Gerard got to see uh, Malachi Nelson, the five-star quarterback. That's a 2023 kid that committed to USC. So we'll talk about that and then kind of give a state of the roster, where we are in the roster right now. It looks like it's paused. There's going to be some significant changes, I think, before USC kicks off in September. But the uh, the kind of flurry of changes that were made to the roster, I think that has come to an end for now and uh, or just paused and then it'll start up again probably after spring football. But we're going to talk about all of that with Gerard Martinez. You can follow him on Twitter at GMartLive. Does a great job with us over at uscfootball.com. Uh, probably pushing two decades now uh, over there, our national recruiting analyst, and kind of filling in for some team stuff here too. But Gerard Martinez joining the show. How are you, man? I'm doing good. Happy hump day to everyone out there. Yeah. Happy Wednesday, everyone. Um, and so just – to kind of give you guys a feel for what these podcasts are going to be. I know it's the off season. We want to get into a regular rotation. Uh, usually we'll do have Harvey Hyde on early in the week. I was actually playing a golf tournament, Gerard, with a bunch of guys you covered out of high school, like Sean Cody and Brandon Hancock, um, Sonny Bird. Uh, Brandon and Sonny were in my foursome like they were last year. It was great. It was uh, um, Olive Grove is a, is a great charity to help uh, – at-risk children, and, and Darnell Bing's a big part of that. So he hosts this tournament his second year in a row. So Darnell Bing, Johnny Walker, uh, Will Buchanan, uh, Greg Carlson, you remember him, a punt return guy. A um, bunch of former players that were out there, you know, Justin Wyatt, um, and a bunch of guys. Uh, and they were a lot of fun to, to chat with. Uh, Lofa Tatupu was out there playing. Uh, Sean Cody is so funny. He had his hair was green. 
Um, so a bunch of bunch of guys there on Monday. So I didn't get to do a podcast on Monday, but it was fun to see some of those guys. I don't. I'll uh, I'll put some little stuff in the war room about that, Gerard. But uh, any of those names ring a bell for you? <laughs> All of them ring a bell. Uh, outside Sonny Bird, you know, Sonny Bird uh, wasn't uh, really. I don't know if he was just not in my era or just not on the radar as a recruit. I think he was a little before my time. I mean, Sean Cody technically was before my time actually being a writer and doing this as a job. I did cover him at the Cal Texas shrine game, which was one of the last shrine games that they had out here where you had uh, the best players from Texas playing against the best players from California. This was well before the U S army all American bowl was in existence. And so those kids would come out here and that was uh, if I recall, that was like a seven to six game. And I think California won that game. I, I know California won a majority of those contests that they had against Texas, but I'm trying to remember there was so many of those different games, but I remember Sean Cody being part of that game. And that was the first time I saw him at a Los Altos high school uh, in person. And that was back when he was, you know, like a 250, 260 pound defensive end and obviously put on the weight, moved inside and uh, became an all American for USC and was really one of the big parts of that pivot for USC football under Pete Carroll. You know, he was, the guy that everybody remembers as a recruit being a five-star recruit was the first to really buy in. You know, that guy yep. that was going to yeah. go to Notre Dame, he was going to go outside the state, which, you know, we look at it now and we look at the the recruiting process and sort of the, the zeitgeist of recruiting, if you will. All these kids are going out of state. All these kids are going back east. They want to play in the NECC. And a lot of Trojan fans, especially younger Trojan fans, are thinking that this is, how it's turned and this is new to college football but in reality we saw this yeah uh, back when i was getting into covering recruiting there were so many guys like lorenzo booker and kyle wright and dj williams and kevin simon and kevin uh, burnett so many of these guys were going to tennessee they were going to florida state they were going to miami and it took pete carroll and the philosophy and the enthusiasm and the energy to sell Sean Cody is one of the first to buy in and say, look it, you know, come here. We're going to, we're going to make something special out of USC again. And uh, he bought in and uh, he was really sort of that. He was really the cornerstone as a defensive lineman uh, when it came to building those recruiting classes and, and moving forward. And so, uh, you know, everybody's always looking for that guy. Uh, and certainly, you know, people are looking at this past recruiting classes, very small as far as high school prospects go. But I think, in terms of the class overall, and now 24-7 sports is actually ranking these classes overall, including the transfers, because the transfer portal is so big and such an impact on college football right now. Obviously, the easy go-to for this is going to be Caleb Williams being a quarterback, being so talented. They're going to build around him, and he's going to be that guy that if USC is able to turn it around quickly, will be the face of that. Yeah. Uh, a couple other names. Will Poole was there. Terrell Thomas. David Kirkman. Remember him? Um, uh, we also had Lofa, uh, Oscar. I love the two I mentioned. Oscar Lua, who's a, that's a big real estate developer now. Good for him. Well, you know, Lofa Tutupa, uh, Tutupu and um, Will Poole, two uh, guys that came in. Lofa was a transfer from Maine, uh, who I think came out of high school, was playing quarterback. And uh, ends up converting, becoming a linebacker, and then transfers in and was a tremendous player for USC as an inside linebacker. Yeah. Amazing inside linebacker for USC. And 
obviously uh, played pretty well up there in Seattle for Pete Carroll uh, when he went to the NFL. And Will Poole was a JUCO uh, guy, I believe. Oh, wait, was he a JUCO guy? Did he come from Boston College? I can't remember if he transferred. He was straight a transfer. Or... I don't remember exactly where, but yeah. I felt like he was a JUCO guy in between that, though. Like he left maybe Boston College and then he had a year of JUCO and then went to USC. Can't remember off the top of my head, but he was a big get. And one of the very few, he and John Drake were one of the few junior college players that USC was able to bring in and recruit uh, from that level. That's why I believe he was a junior college player because there were so few of them that actually USC was able to recruit and ended up being successful and impact players. You know, USC wanted to recruit more junior college players, just very difficult academically for them to get those guys in. And that's still even true today. Yeah. Colin, Colin Ashton was the other player. He's a plus two golfer, meaning he's better than like scratch golfer. Uh, he's really freaking good. He wins. He every time I go to a vet and he's at, he always wins because he's he's just like uh, that good of a golfer. But like really good group of former players, and it was cool to see them come out and support Darnell Bing for the charity. But that was a long, you know, a little trip down memory lane. But it was a long. Just basically, I was saying that's why we didn't do a podcast on Monday because I was playing in that uh, golf tournament. The plan is that that Chris Trevino and I will be doing a show regularly together. I don't know if you saw on the Peristyle, but he posted an unfortunate, you know, his. His father very recently passed away, so he's going to be, uh, you know, time away from from the site and just not going to be in town. So we'll get Chris going, you know, whenever he's ready to step back in. Uh, he's still on the site and stuff, but he's not going to be around town to come in and do podcasts and stuff. So we will get that going uh, on a somewhat regular basis. I think he wants to do a show with you too, Gerard, eventually, and Shotgun will probably start Maybe. doing a show. Yeah. Yeah, we might have something in the works. We'll we'll see how that goes. You know, yeah. I, I had the recruiting rant for a while, and it's just very difficult. I think the format that I had was very difficult to do because I just sort of opened it up to questions, and it was just a lot of redundant questions, a lot of the same questions every week. And, you know, I'm very anal retentive when it comes to producing anything, and I want it to be exactly like I want it. And editing and making sure I was clean on answering these questions and making sure I was answering these questions and giving true insight. I would record something and then listen to it and go, ah, what am I really saying here? Am I giving you something you don't know already? So I'd sit there for, you know, 20 minutes for one question and think, you know, what can I, I need to say something that's more interesting or I need to get more information. Let me start texting a couple people and really, and it just took forever. It to took do. forever. Yeah. And obviously, I'm doing content, you know, on the regular for video and everything else. So it's just like, yeah, everything piles up on itself. So that was difficult to do. I really do kind of want to go back and do some of that. I think that, you know, the rant was a, a good um, outlet for me to be able to address certain things. And certainly I kind of feel like I should almost just do more of an actual rant and just go off and just talk about whatever I'm going to talk about. That wouldn't be much easier to do. But then part of me feels like, that's not the professional high-end thing to do. You need to be more produced and you need to answer questions a certain way. So yeah, I, I sort of go back and forth on that whole thing, but we'll see uh, if Chris and I are able to pull something together and, you know, maybe it's more like we do because what we do is completely unedited and we just talk and answer questions. That was not how the recruiting rant was. It no. was very sort of cut up and, and done in such a way where I wanted to hit every question and I wanted to make sure that, I, if there was redundant questions, maybe even try to pull a question into another direction to be able to give more insight and information on something that would be follow up to that. But then, you know, obviously I would end up getting the same questions the next week and it'd be like, oh, man, what are we doing here? Exactly, <laughs> Am I not answering yeah. these questions well enough? 
but I think that's just the nature of the beast. Not everybody's on the peristyle every day. Not everybody's reading every post. And that's something that we sort of touched on with the war room. A lot of people that are hardcore fans are in there and they're reading every single thing. They're going to multiple sites. They're going to all these different sites on the 24-7 network. And then they're coming back and they have all this information, all this knowledge. And anytime you rehash something, it's like, oh, my God, we already read all this. This is not new information. This is not news. It's like, yeah, but you don't understand. The majority of the other people that are subscribed to the site have not because they're not on every day. Sometimes they're not on every week. So you really do have to rehash that stuff or else you're going to get that question again. Yeah. Um, so we're still ironing out the uh, schedule, but hopefully, you know, everything goes okay with Chris. I mean, he's a lot. To, Chris has a lot to take care of. We'll, we'll welcome him back whenever he's ready and we'll get some different uh, shows and stuff going for all of you. Uh, if you're not a member of uscfootball.com on the peristyle, like Gerard said, it's a buck. So just go on there and do it. Your first month's a dollar. So just go try it out. Record number of people have subscribed and are, are listening to these shows and all of that. So people are excited, which is great. We love we love that, of course. And we also love our sponsor, Trader Joe's. Just wanted to thank them uh, yet again. We had a couple of shows last week. We got to talk about Trader Joe's with all this, the news that was going on. Uh, you know, you, by yourself, you just want a quick little meal. Uh, I tried the uh, beef shepherd's pie where you can uh, bake in the oven or actually microwave for about 10 minutes or so. And that was really good. Like, potatoes on top. And some veggies and meat and stuff underneath. So you can that's one thing you can check out. But also the Fearless Flyer for February is out. I love myself a good sauce. There's uh, They had a Magnificent like Sauce, which I think was more like relishy. Uh, the Incredi Sauce, which I'm not a big relish guy. Incredi Sauce looks awesome. It's more honey mustardy. So put it on like fried chicken or fries or whatever you want to do. So go check it out. Uh, it's a sweet, tangy, smoky flavored dipping sauce. So... It uh, looks pretty cool, but there's all the cool stuff like that in the Fearless Flyer if you want to check those out over at TraderJoe's.com. I just wanted to thank them again. Are you a big uh, sauce guy, Gerard? Mm, not really, although I am when it comes to chicken and chicken nuggets. So I'm okay. thinking about that honey mustard, and I'm like, hmm. Incredible sauce on the, your chicken? Yeah. That sounds very good. No, it's good stuff. Um, okay, so we have a lot to get to. Um, the... Interesting newsy stuff from last week. We got to do a, an emergency podcast and uh, tunnel vision talking about Caleb Williams when he joined with USC. We got to hear from Lincoln Riley on National Signing Day. But the big one, I think, you know, that we haven't talked about in the podcast yet was on Thursday. We got to meet uh, all of the assistant coaches, well, most of them, um, and get them in the room and, you know, 15 minutes per, per uh, coach and we got to ask him questions and it was live streamed. And, you know, apparently I talked to Sean Cody about this, Gerard in between, um, you know, the, the coaches, there was a little break and Sean Cody just screams to the room. Like I got to talk about this, you know, Ryan Akeel is something like, is, is it uncomfortable? You guys <laughs> same room together. She was sitting right behind me and uh, we made some jokes and it was pretty funny. Sean's Sean's a funny guy. Unbeknownst to us, that was live streamed. Like ever, like USC fans heard that. So I don't know if you knew that Gerard, but Everything we said in between, like we we're waiting for coaches, I guess, was on the, the live stream. No, like I said, in the instant analysis, uh, Sean was uh, trying to create uh, some drama. He, he also wanted to see if um, who would win in a wrestling match between Sean Nua and Zach Henson. <laughs> and he, yeah, he was trying to start stuff uh, between uh, you and Keeley because Keeley obviously 
no longer with the site. She works for USC now. And he wanted to know uh, if there was any tension between you two. And it was like, what? Where did that come from? And we were just all laughing about it, like, ha-ha, but we didn't know it was actually being streamed live. I don't think he knew that either. Maybe he did. I no, no. I asked I asked Sean at the golf tournament. I'm like, he didn't even know until I told him. He's like, that was? He's like, crap, what else did I say? So, yeah, because, <laughs> yeah. like, and I said, like, like I'm done. I, I said I made some joke, like, I'm never talking to her again, or I'm done with her, or something like that. And if you didn't know that we were joking around, then people might think we were like not happy with each other. But I'm, we're, you know, we're extremely happy for Keely. We love her, and uh, we're we're happy and looking forward to see where she's able to do there. But they did stream all these. We put up stories on every single one of these coaches and video of every single one of these coaches. The only one we didn't hear from was Dave Nickel, the inside wide receivers coach and associate head coach for offense, um, and the only one that wasn't in person was Josh Henson, the offensive coordinator and offensive line coach. But he's the person we heard from first. Um, so I'll go through the list, Gerard. Let's go one at a time. We don't have to go too long on each one. But any notes from Josh Henson, the OC? Yeah, I think, you know, we talked a little bit about this on Instant. But I just like that he was very clear in saying he's a supportive role when it comes to the play calling and really putting everything on Lincoln Riley when it comes to He's the guy that has the vision for the play calls. It's a collaborative effort when it comes to designing the playbook, and that's obviously going to be week by week. They're going to have their install, but it was very well defined. And we've seen that shell game in the past with Clay Helton as to, okay, Clay, who's really calling the plays? Is it T. Martin? Is it you? Uh, are you getting involved with Graham Harrell? You know, it, it seemed a little more defined when they hired Graham Harrell because obviously they paid a lot of money for him. And he was able to come in and he was successful at North Texas. But you always got these rumors that came up about, you know, Clay's kind of getting involved. There's not going to be any of that anymore. There's going to be Lincoln Raleigh's calling the plays for better, for worse. If it's a good game offensively, then it's all Lincoln. If it's a bad game, it's going to be all Lincoln Riley. He's really uh, the guy that has the vision and I think the philosophy and, and all of the coaches really kind of came back to that. And anytime you ask them about philosophical questions or vision, it was all about what does Lincoln Riley want to do? So I, I like that. I mean, in terms of accountability, and that's a big, big question. That's something that the program has lacked in recent years. Uh, that's just right out of the gates. You know, Lincoln's calling the place. So let's just make that clear. I'm there to support him and to collaborate. And I think it's great to have an offensive line coach be that guy because you know, obviously Lincoln is very focused on the quarterback positions, the passing game. To have uh, Josh Henson there who is looking at the, the trenches, you know, he can kind of understand what the front is doing, what kind of blitzes they're seeing, and he's going to pick up on some things that Lincoln Riley maybe doesn't see or doesn't know. Uh, there's certain uh, little, you know, subtle things that the defensive line might be doing in terms of their gap assignments or they're shifting or they're doing some little stunts. Um, things of that nature, obviously, Josh Henson's going to be uh, very aware of that. So I, I like that you have the offensive line coach in the trenches focused on that, and yet he has a background as a coordinator, and he was a coordinator at, at Missouri as well, uh, being able to collaborate with your head coach, who's off, uh, obviously very involved with the quarterbacks and the skill positions as a whole. So I thought that was very interesting. Uh, talked about how much he liked the roster. He, he felt like the guys were hungry. They're excited. And they look like they were very dedicated just as an early sort of evaluation of them in the winter workout program. 
And I've heard a lot about even a guy like Max Gibbs, you know, who was playing a little bit of defensive line last year. And there's been some very positive feedback in terms of his workouts and what he's doing now. And so, you know, we talked about this a little bit in the war room, instant analysis. Obviously, the offensive line has been a bit up and down. And I think Trojan fans last year probably felt the offensive line played worse than it really did. The PFF rankings for the offensive line were pretty high. And so they played much better at the end of the year than a lot of people give them credit for. And this coaching staff is sort of seeing that. And while a lot of people would say, well, that's got to be the Achilles heel of the offense in general is the offensive line. They haven't been able to recruit, you know, many big time offensive tackles, but this staff seems to be pretty optimistic about what they have on the offensive line. And you heard a little bit of that from Josh Henson. Yeah. Uh, Well, let's move on to the other side of the ball. Alex Grinch, USC defensive coordinator. Any thoughts on what uh, Alex had to say? Yeah, one gap defense. He talked about that first and foremost. And USC has sort of played with two gap, doing a little bit of both, having a hybrid defense. And having a hybrid defense is one thing. That tends to be more of a sort of formation personnel uh, description of a defense. You don't want to be hybrid in terms of your gap assignments. And, and USC was doing that. Uh, the last couple years, and before that, they actually used a little bit of two-gap, even going back to Justin Wilcox, who used a lot of two-gap in his defense. I personally don't like that just because of the personnel you're going to be recruiting and the type of defensive linemen you're going to have at USC. The type of defensive linemen you're going to have at USC are going to be more like Sean Cody. They're going to be more like Leonard Williams. You want to get those guys in the three technique, and you want them in one gap where they attack that gap and they get upfield. So the difference being between last year's defense and this year's defense, even though still we're talking about three, four hybrid defenses, is that last year's defense, you really wanted your defensive linemen to be body catchers. You wanted your defensive linemen to take up bodies, to take up gaps, and you wanted the majority of your plays and your tackles to come from your linebackers. The linebacker position blitzed on every play. It really wasn't a stunt, so to speak. It was part of the base defense. This is going to be a lot more traditional in terms of you want your defensive linemen to be able to make some plays in the offensive backfield. You want them to get off the ball, and you want them to be good pass rushers. So I think that was something he said out of the gates that I really liked. They're going to have a guy like Earl Barquette come in from TCU, and you've seen with Alex Grinch in the past with Washington State and with Oklahoma, he shifts a lot. He uses a lot of stunts up front. He likes lateral mobility with his defensive linemen, and Earl Barquette, he I mean, he's a prototype for that. When you watch his defensive film at TCU, he can do that so well. So he's going to be a real interesting player to watch in spring ball and watch in fall camp, how disruptive he can be in that defense because he really seems to fit it to a T. Uh, Alex Grinch didn't really get to talk about him specifically very much, but just watching his film and knowing what Grinch likes to do up front, I think that's going to be a fantastic marriage. So we're really going to see how that goes. I'm excited to see Earl Barquette. Uh, as we get into the offseason yeah. and we start to see some scrimmages and some competitive play. Yeah, the, um, not a ton from uh, Brian Odom, the inside linebackers coach, and he's the associate head coach um, for defense. Uh, I did talk about you know Shane Lee a little bit, I guess. Yeah, they love Shane Lee. Uh, put a lot on Shane Lee in terms of how he carries himself, how much of a leader he is. You go and you're a starter at Alabama as a true freshman, there's going to be some high expectations. Uh, you know, obviously he had some injuries that kind of sidelined him and then some other players that were maybe a little more athletic from what I understand, talking to a few sources at Alabama. 
uh, overtook him and sort of kept him on the bench a little bit. But here at USC, they're obviously raving about him as a leader and looking at him as potentially being even a guy that might be a captain next year. You do question how that goes with a guy that's only been on campus for a few months. Uh, certainly you want him to be able to sort of earn it and do it in the locker room and not be a guy that they just plug in there and say, Hey, you know what? You were a starter at Alabama. So you must be good enough to be able to be a starter here and to be a team leader here. You want him to be able to earn it and do it on the field. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, having a transfer, having that type of leadership role. But it seemed like uh, Brian Odom was putting a lot of that on him. I asked him specifically about the nomenclature of the linebackers, and he kind of didn't answer that question. There's some question as to, you know, whether the Mikes are going to be Mikes, you know, middle linebackers, or they're using that name for a different type of player. Um, So we don't really have clarity on that, but he did talk a lot about Shane Lee. And that was probably the one thing that uh, he talked about the most in terms of being very excited about him being in the middle and having a guy that had uh, experience starting and not just experience starting, but as a true freshman in the SEC playing for one of the best defenses in the nation. Yeah. Uh, Interesting guy to talk to Roy Manning, the uh, outside linebackers coach, also Nichols coach and assistant head coach for defense. I mean, it's, He's coached a lot of different positions. It seems like there's some kind of hybrid stuff going on there. But what, what were your thoughts were talking to Manning? Yeah, three different titles, and he's coached three different positions uh, for Alex Grinch. So when he was at Washington State to where he was at uh, Oklahoma, and, and also they all met together at Missouri. So Missouri is kind of, I guess, the meeting spot uh, for Roy Manning, Brian Odom, and Alex Grinch. Uh, as well as Josh Hansen was also at Missouri at 1.2, but I don't think he was on the same staff. Uh, but that kind of all sourced back to Missouri, and then they took it to Washington State. And he's been a defensive backs coach. He's been a cornerbacks coach. He's been a linebackers coach. He played outside linebacker uh, for Michigan. So that's actually his home position in terms of his player experience. Uh, talked a lot about the overhangs and evolution of the overhangs being those players that sort of are out there in the slot on the hash, uh, you know, 15, 20 years ago to say that a guy's going to coach outside linebackers and Nichols was unheard of. You know, those are two completely different players 15, 20 years ago. Now you have a big nickel. You have a nickel. Sometimes it's not the same player. It's depending on the scenario, uh, the down and distance, who you're going to put in there. So, you know, one down, you may have a guy like Max Williams. Another down, you may want to bring in a guy like Xavier Gordon, who's just a bigger, or excuse me, Xavier uh, is a Marion Gordon blanking on his name there for a second, uh, who's a bigger sort of safety, uh, maybe even going even to a bigger player that's more like an outside linebacker. So it's sort of the evolution of the defense trying to play against the RPO. And I think uh, that's interesting in and of itself, having a guy there that's, I think going to have some overlap with other coaches too. I think you're going to have him working with Sean Nua a bit, and then you're going to have him working with Dante Williams a bit. It's just dependent on, what that group is going to look like. But I'm excited to see what that group is going to look like. Is he going to have, you know, all those players there, the guys from Max Williams to the bigger safeties, or is it going to be one of those things where, you know, he's going to take individual players and it's going to be sort of a rotation of, okay, I'm going to work with the guys that are more the defensive backs uh, this period. And then I'm going to work with the guys that are more the safeties. And then I'm going to work with the guys that are more the outside linebackers sort of defensive ends. So that's going to be interesting to watch just in practice. Uh, But again, he's coached all of those positions. So it's a guy that really knows the defense has a lot of energy. You can tell that he's a guy that's really a motivator 
And so, you know, he wants also on the recruiting trail to have players that can do multiple things. So it was interesting to listen to him speak about not recruiting a cornerback that you want to move to safety because he's not fast enough. Uh, not recruiting a safety that's big but not fast enough so you know he's going to be a linebacker. He takes the approach of, I want to go get a guy that can kind of do it all. And I want athletes that are going to be able to learn those different positions. And he talked about that as well. And this is something that USC did last year with the safety position specifically, having all three of those safeties know each spot. So you're going to have guys that really play a specific spot because of their body types or what have you or or just their strengths athletically but they're all going to learn the different spots so it's the nickel which is going to be up at the slot and then you're going to have your two guys that are going to be back which are going to be single high or double high safeties and you're free and you're strong and they're all different positions to have a little different nuances their eyes are going to be in different places watching the assignments and sort of reads as to where they need to be and certainly when you're playing closer to the line of scrimmage, you're probably going to be a better tackler in open space. You're going to be a little bigger body. Unless you're Max Williams, who seems to be able to, to be able to be very productive despite uh, his diminutive size. Uh, but those all those guys are going to learn those different positions and they're going to be rotated. And then they're going to kind of figure out who fits where best. The uh, next one up was uh, Dante Williams. And right out of the gate was asked sort of about the, you know, being the interim head coach and coming back as the, Defensive backs coach. He's the defensive backs coach and passing game coordinator now. Defensive passing game coordinator. Didn't really want to talk about any of that and just was, you know, moving on. That's the past. Um, but he did sort of maybe drop a little bombshell, Gerard, talking about the the starters returning in the secondary. What are your thoughts on that or anything else he had to say? Yeah, not necessarily a bombshell. I think we've all sort of speculated that it doesn't look like Isaiah Polomal is going to be returning for USC. Um he has not come forward and said he's going to the NFL draft, nor is he in the transfer portal. So that's a little bit of a question that we have not gotten answered yet. Yet at the same time, Dante Williams talked about having all five positions going to have new starters for USC next year. So he went in to uh, talking about Makai Blackman and how much starting experience he had and how much more starting experience he had than everybody else that was coming back on the roster for USC. And obviously for Isaiah Polamau, who's been a starter for a long time, that sort of raised some eyebrows in the room. So, yeah, maybe he sort of slipped a little bit and talked about that uh, when, you know, Isaiah Polamau has obviously not come out publicly and said one thing or another. But in terms of the contrast and comparisons from the last staff to this staff, a lot of people want to know that. A lot of people had those questions. I've seen fans on the peristyle bring that up. He completely dodged that, didn't want anything to do with that, which I think is sort of an omission of guilt in and of itself. You know, you're wanting him to compare how organized the last staff was. What was the approach of the last staff? How much attention to detail was there with the last staff? How much accountability was there with the last staff? Philosophy-wise, in terms of behind the scenes on how coaches handled themselves compared to now, how is it? And he just didn't want to talk about any of that. So there really wasn't a whole lot in terms of what he said that was really um, interesting. You know, he wanted to look – uh, going forward and, and really wanted to focus going forward, which I understand. He doesn't want to say anything bad about his former employer, technically, uh, if you're talking about Clay Helton. Um, he wanted to look forward and talk mostly about what's going. But certainly in everybody's mind, you know, how do you go forward without learning from the past and learning from your interim um, head coaching gig, how that went last season, 
uh, obviously it was it wasn't very successful you know do you take certain things from being on the sidelines as an interim coach and use that as a position coach now how much does that humble you how much does that you know give you a, a bigger picture as to coaching and motivating and all these things, but he just didn't want to touch any of that. So unfortunately we didn't get any of those answers uh, that I know a lot of people were very curious about. Yeah. Um, Sean Nua, defensive line coach. Uh, If you always wanted to have like a Polynesian defensive line coach, I would be happy with that. Like those guys just seem to be like, they're just tough and badass. And you're just like, yeah. Okay. If I was a defensive lineman, like I would listen to what this guy has to say, but what were your thoughts on uh, Sean Nua? Well, you asked a great question in talking about the perceived lack of big bodies on the West Coast and how that was going to be a challenge for USC recruiting-wise. Obviously, saw Nua coming from Michigan. You've got the Midwest. You've got the East Coast. And, and, and maybe you get to dip down and, and recruit some guys in Tennessee and, and somewhat in the South. And he said, you know what? We're going to find these guys out here. You know, there's, there's big bodies. You just got to find them. And certainly uh, there's a lot of big bodies coming out of the islands and there's a lot of uh, Polynesian talent on the defensive line. Um, That's traditionally been a very strong um, facet of uh, the Polynesian players. And we've seen them expand though, and, you know, into quarterback now, and you've got great Polynesian uh, defensive backs um, and linebackers. USC has had all of these things, Um, but defensive line wise, when you're talking about big bodies, Certainly, uh, that's uh, an approach for USC that they're going to be able to get their foot in the door with Sean Nua um, and having those connections. And and more importantly, I think just having those connections and being able to evaluate early on and to earmark talent early on with those players, uh, whether they're in Utah, whether they're in Northern California, up and down the West Coast. Sean Nua is a West Coast guy. You know, he talked about coming to USC and his family still being in Michigan and being in a snowstorm and them not wanting to get on FaceTime because he could go outside and there's the sun and it's 80 degrees and they don't want to see any of that. They're you know, not going to they, like they, that today. I mean, it's literally, it was like 80 degrees this morning in Hermosa beach, like where it's usually colder. Like it's, it's going it to be so much nicer. Here Huntington right beach, 86 in Huntington beach. So that's, <laughs> that's wild. It's, it's, it's warmer in Huntington beach than even out here in the IE. So I, I don't know how that works, but somehow yeah, uh, it's it's pretty warm on on the coast, and uh, they didn't want to see any of that until they actually got out here. So that's a West Coast guy, and I think that's a really good thing for USC because I've talked about it time and time again. When you're talking about linemen, um, you're going to have to have some patience on the West Coast. There's going to be some of those guys that come out that are 240, 250, and they're not the 300-pound guys that are ready-made uh, coming out of high school, and you're going to have to have a little bit of patience in developing those players and bring them into your program, and maybe you redshirt them. Uh, but down the line, they're going to be good players for you. And so, you know, being a West Coast guy, I think you just having some familiarity with those type of players in the development process, I think is is very good for USC. And also, he was a guy that talked a lot about culture. You know, he was big on culture and, and talking about building the culture. And we're going to build the culture. There's no question about it. We're going to build the culture. Guys are going to want to play for each other. And they're going to want to play for this program and they're going to want to trust in what we have. And so buy-in is a big thing for him. And, and he's a guy that's very soft-spoken, big guy, strong guy, sort of has that, you know, walk softly, carry a big stick sort of um, way that he carries himself. I, I think you kind of get that impression from him. And I think that uh, it's going to be interesting to see the defensive linemen and, and, and how they buy into to his coaching approach. And, you know, one guy that they – the media asked about, and, and I thought he had a very interesting answer to, was Corey Foreman. And Corey Foreman is one of those sort of hybrid players that 
you know, played uh, kind of defensive end, outside linebacker in the past scheme. It's going to be interesting to see how much Sean Newell works with him, how much he's going to put his hand down uh, on the defensive line. Um, I think he, in terms of athleticism and, and physical build and profile, actually plays that hybrid outside linebacker position uh, in, in that defense, that jack sort of uh, linebacker position, or I think USC call it the, the B-backer um, in Todd Orlando's defense. He fits that better than Drake Jackson. Drake Jackson, I think, was a little lost out there. I think there, that his strengths were somewhat mitigated playing that position out there in space. I think Corey Foreman can play that position better in space. But when asked about him and, and his talent and trying to get the most out of his talent, uh, Sean Lewis said he has all the talent in the world. He's going to be pushed if he wants to be pushed. And that's something that we've heard about in the background. You know, coming out, five-star guy number one player in the nation, does he want it? Is he hungry enough? Does he have the motivation to be that player he was coming out of high school? And that's Sean Nua sort of almost giving a nod to that a little bit. He's going to be pushed if he wants to be pushed. And that's going to be true of this entire roster. These guys are going to be pushed. And and, and if they don't want to be pushed, they're going to be pushed out. and They're going to end up in the porthole. Yeah. Dennis Simmons, the uh, assistant head coach, outside wide receivers coach, and offensive passing game coordinator. Uh, I, got, I think it was me that asked him. I don't remember what I asked, but about the uh, some of the transfers. Uh, they brought in Brendan Rice from Colorado, Terrell Bynum from Washington, and uh, Mario Williams, of course, from Oklahoma. He talked about Rice and uh, Bynum a lot. Not mu- not as much about Williams, who you know he'd coached there at Oklahoma himself, but. Anything stand out to you about what Dennis Simmons had to say? Not really. I mean, I think with Mario Williams, he's coached Mario Williams and knows Mario Williams, and that was sort of, um, yeah, I mean, we have Mario Williams, and we know what he brings to the table. So it's kind of looking forward to the guys that, you know, he probably looks at a little differently in terms of being transfers in Brendan Rice and Troll Bynum because he's never coached them before. And, yeah, he talked up uh, Brendan Rice and his uh, – sort of practice habits and uh, the reputation he had at Colorado of being, you know, a really hard worker and having great work ethic and, and talking about Terrell Bynum and just him off the field and how he carries himself off the field and being a real professional and the Washington coach uh, reaching out to him and saying, Hey, you're getting a, a great person above all else in Terrell Bynum. And so that's good for the room. That's good for the wide receiver room. You're getting uh, some guys that, that have some maturity and not just playmaking ability. You know, I, I think, uh, he talked a little bit about knowing Lincoln Riley and, and they've known each other since they were 19 years old. So this is another guy that has multiple titles and, and has seen the program from multiple different levels. And I think, you know, that helps you when you have that kind of experience. He also talked about the dynamic between he and Dave Nickel and uh, the inside and outside uh, wide receiver coaching approach, which USC kind of had a little bit of that. Like it, we thought that they were going to have inside and outside receiver coaches when they hired Graham Harrell, but it was again, one of those sort of, we're, we're kind of going to be air raid, but then we're kind of not going to be air raid because the inside receivers coach was really more of a tight ends coach. Whereas here we have a tight ends coach in Zach Henson, and we have a inside and outside receivers coach. So that's not what USC had. They only had the tight ends kind of inside receivers coach. And then they have the outside receivers coach who was Curry Colbert. So this is again, sort of doubling down on the type of offensive scheme that you're running and making sure you have people that are qualified and have experience at those positions. And so that's what we got out of Dennis Simmons talking about 
you know, what's the difference between a slot receiver and an outside receiver for you? You know, are you looking for something specific? Is Gary Bryant going to be an outside receiver for you or is he going to be an inside receiver for you? And he said, we're going to move guys around. Don't worry about that. That's going to be something that there's not going to be, hey, this guy's an inside receiver because he's an inside receiver. It's going to be, you know, what play are we running and what do we want out of that inside receiver? Because USC, if you notice, they have gotten a bit smaller over the past couple of years. And, and I think that's obviously part of the off the scheme. They're going to have more speed. They're going to have guys like um, Taj Washington, Gary Bryant, Mario Williams, who are smaller, but faster, quicker, more agile players and certainly work better in space. And even Terrell Bynum is not a necessarily a big uh, wide receiver. So, you know, outside maybe, you know, Kyle Ford, uh, Brendan Rice has got some size to him. He's about six, two, um, you're looking at a lot of guys that are more dynamic in space and faster. And I think with that, you're going to see them moved around just based on what the play is and what, who they want to get the ball and what their strengths may be in terms of route running and in terms of speed and just in terms of maybe changing things up in terms of your, like your, your, your tendencies, you know, you, you, you don't want to necessarily have Gary Bryant at the slot and do this specific thing every time. Uh, you don't want it to have, you know, the Brad Walker effect in terms of personnel usage. And, okay, Brad Walker's in. Well, it's a run. You know, you want to be able to move those guys around and, and sort of have a little bit of a shell game in terms of, okay, is, are you putting Mario Williams on the outside because he runs those routes well and he catches the ball well on the, on the outside? Or can you put him inside? And this is what Lane Kiffin used to do, and a lot of people didn't really notice this, is that Lane Kiff, Kiffin would would use uh, Marquise Lee sometimes inside or Nelson Aguilar sometimes in the slot just to get away from the defense being able to to defend them in terms of tendency and maybe jam them at the line or do different things. It's, it's, it's harder to do those things maybe in the slot than on the outside or vice versa. So you want to be able to move those guys around a little bit and, uh, and give the defense different looks. And then a couple more, uh, Kyle McDonald, uh, Kyle McDonald, sorry. It's K-I-E-L, but it's just pronounced Kyle. Uh, the running backs coach that came over from Utah, any thoughts there? Yeah, I asked him about uh, Raleigh Brown, and obviously Raleigh being a dynamic player that's going to play a little receiver, and he's going to play a little bit of running back. He's going to start probably playing more in the slot just because that's a harder position to learn. So he said that that's going to be sort of a starting point, but they're going to use him obviously as a running back as well, a guy that played at modern day between the tackles a whole lot. And so it's going to be interesting to see him used in space more, fast, dynamic, another one of those guys that can play multiple positions. And so I asked uh, Kyle McDonald. Okay, so what's your vision for Raleigh Brown? He can do you know many different things, and he says my vision is Lincoln Riley's vision. <laughs> Lincoln Riley is the one again talking about accountability, talking about who's running the show. It's Lincoln Riley. He's the guy that ultimately, philosophically, with this offensive scheme, is the guy that runs it. And so everybody sort of just defers to him, and it, and that's a little bit of breath of fresh air in terms of okay, you know, who's the point man on, on, on the play calling, whether it works or it doesn't work. And so, you know, Raleigh Brown is going to be a guy that you know, Lincoln Riley's going to figure out, you know, when I want to use him in zip motion, do I want to use him in the slot? Do I want him to, uh, you know, to just run the ball out of the backfield? Um, how are we going to use him? It's going to be dependent on what Lincoln Riley wants to do. Uh, Kyle McDonald also talked a little bit about the running back position and the type of running backs he's had and developed. And he's had guys like Zach Moss back in 2018 that was, you know, a 30-carry-a-game guy. And then also going and having like last year where they have a rotation of a few different guys. Um, but, you know, almost every year Oklahoma had a thousand yard rusher, despite all the talk of, 
the quarterback position and the Heisman Trophy winners and the air raid offense and you know coming from Texas Tech and then ECU, he's had a thousand yard rusher. So you got to figure out how to get that guy there that can do that. The other thing I thought maybe was the most interesting thing about what Kyle McDonald said and really kind of getting some space and some distance from uh, listening to him talk and kind of going back over it was talking about the running back position being the biggest eraser on the field. And I thought that was such a great observation by him and that he's aware of that and that, again, he's taking that on at the running back position saying, listen, plays are going to break down. There's going to be a third and two where the defense just guesses right or maybe somebody whiffs on a block and the running back position, you're going to have to get a guy that can make that lateral step or can break a tackle to still get that first down. And he was taking that on uh, as a running back coach, putting that on the running backs. We're responsible for being erasers for negative plays. And the negative plays are such a huge thing in college football. You know, you, you lose yards, you lose five or six yards on a play in college football, and it's almost always going to kill your drive. And it could basically take you out of scoring position as well. So he really talked about that, and, and, and I thought that was really great for him to hang his hat on that and say, we need guys that can erase those bad plays. And certainly – he didn't mention this, but that's also going to be a big part of Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams, his ability to scramble, his ability to gain yards with his feet is going to be a big part of getting USC out of those negative plays. And we saw that with Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold, who's not really as athletic or as fast as Caleb Williams, uh, but still a, a strong, elusive quarterback and was able to get you know just those plays where he's able to get a yard or get two yards where he was going to be sacked for seven yards, getting USC's offense out of that negative play. Now, you know, you're in a second and eight. Okay. That's, that's cool. That's fine. That's a whole lot different than second and 15 or second and 17, where it's just going to be so hard to be able to get that first down and keep the chains moving. Caleb Williams is going to give you a lot of that. So now not only do you have a running backs coach that understands that is teaching his guys, listen, you're going to have to – it can't be all about, hey, this is where the A-gap's going to be. This is where you follow it, and there's going to be running room there. Maybe there is, but there's going to be plays where I've got to coach my guys to know and understand you're going to have to break a tackle because that gap is not going to be open, and you're going to have to shift, and you're going to have to make a move maybe off tackle or somewhere else. And I think that's great, and I think that you combine that with having Caleb Williams. If USC's able to keep themselves out of those negative plays, they are going to be much more productive offensively. Yeah. Last one, Zach Hansen. It's a Z-A-C-H, because, you know, sometimes it could be Z-A-C-K. But it's Hansen, H-A-N-S-O-N, unlike uh, the offensive coordinator, offensive line coach, Henson, H-E-N-S-O-N, Josh Henson. So a little bit different spelling there, but Zach Hansen, he's the tight ends coach. Uh, any thoughts on what he had to say? Yeah, his wife, Annie, is uh, director of recruiting. So I asked him a little bit about that dynamic, you know, having uh, your wife involved in the recruiting process and, you know, being able to go home and she can reference uh, some of these things outside of even coaching. Because, you know, coaching is coaching and, hey, the team played this way and practice went this way and this is how my tight end room is looking. But the recruiting process is just like it can be so ambiguous and so weird and strange and it takes so much time. You know, you're on your phone all the time. You're on Twitter. And, you know, your wife is like, hey, you're off the field. You know, you're not in, in the locker room anymore. You're not in the tight end film room anymore. You're not on the, co uh, on the field coaching. So what are you, why are you still distracted? And it's like, because I'm trying to get this five-star 
tight end. <laughs> that's going to be like our next guy. Like this is going to be a huge, and I, and I got to get this guy or, you know, what it looks like, or excuse me, USC is doing uh, now uh, that, that they did a little bit in Oklahoma. Is, is It looks more like territorial recruiting, whereas USC has been recruiting by position, which I've not been a big fan of in, in, in recent years. And it looks like they're just going after territory a little more now. Um, and Zach uh, Hansen is a guy that's originally from Northern California. So we saw him in the month of January going up and down and being uh, very visible up at Folsom and some of these Northern California spots where they've got some good players. USC's got to do a better job of recruiting Northern California. We sit here and talk about, oh, California doesn't have the talent used to have, blah, blah, blah. But USC almost completely ignored Northern California under Clay Helton, which is really weird because Clay Helton actually was a Bay Area recruiter uh, under Lane Kiffin. So, you know, you would think, okay, he's seen some guys up in the Bay Area, but they kind of went away from it completely, and they've got to be better. They've got to find some guys in Sacramento. They've got to find some guys in Central California, Northern California. Oklahoma actually had a pretty good run on Central California guys, a lot of guys out of Fresno um, that they were able to get away from USC and UCLA. Uh, and so I think there's going to be a little more awareness and probably a little more effort put in to recruiting those spots. And Zach Hansen is going to be one of those guys that might be up there in Northern California recruiting, looking for tight ends, um, and, and looking for some of these bodies, which, you know, on the West Coast, I think tight end position, that's where you actually find a lot of those guys. Now, some of those guys, it's a weird position because you might find guys that are going to be off to tackles. You know, they, they're playing tight end right now, and they want to be told, oh, you, you're going to catch, you know, 80 passes as a freshman, blah, blah, blah. But you know deep down this guy doesn't quite have the athleticism to be an NFL tight end, to really see his dreams through as a tight end. But if he moves to left tackle, this guy has the footwork and the athleticism. If he just puts on the weight, he has the frame. He's going to be an amazing player, and he's actually got an NFL future. Or this is a guy that needs to be playing on the defensive side of the ball. You know, you get a guy that's 6'5", 240 pounds on the West Coast, he can go a lot of different places. Um, it's not going to be quite like it is down south where the guy's 6'5", 240. He's like, okay, you're a tight end, and you're going to be a tight end probably because if you weren't, you'd already had put on that weight. You'd already be – that different position because those kids in those regions tend to be uh, a little more what you see is what you get when they come out of high school in the West coast. It's not like that. And so he is going to be recruiting a position that could end up being two or three different positions uh, on the roster down in, in the future. So I think that's interesting. And the fact that his wife is uh, also recruiting director, she's going to, you know, see and, ha and know a lot of these different kids and all these different recruits, and they're going to be able to bounce things off of each other uh, in terms of the recruiting process. I think that's a great dynamic. It's very interesting. And we asked them a little bit about the tight end position at USC right now, and it's, it's still a good-looking position. I mean, USC, the sad thing about it is USC's had some decent depth at the tight end position and some good players. And the guy, you know, that's completely lost it, everybody's waiting to go and jump into the portal is Josh Follow. And that was a guy that was a high four-star coming out of high school, highly coveted. We saw him at a couple of events um, during the offseason and, and was, was tremendous. And a lot of people saw a lot of potential with him and he's just completely just not been on the radar for USC. And, and a lot of that has been supposedly because he just doesn't get down the plays. He's not lining up right. He's not doing the little things to stay consistent on the field. And so we're going to see, you know, how that works now. Um, but I think with, you know, another thing with Zach Hansen being – uh, a tight end coach and also being a former offensive line coach. And then when you're talking about that running game, you're really getting, you know, a guy that technique wise, you know, he's going to understand run blocking. And that's been a real issue with USC the past few years 
uh, their run blocking at the tight end position has been pretty horrible. Uh, we've seen some bad run blocking from the tight ends, and that's got to improve. That's got to be more consistent across the board. Not all of their players. I mean, they've had some guys that have done a good job run blocking, but the consistency in that room as a whole has been lacking. You know, everybody wants to be the Drake London, and some of you guys are going to just have to square up and block players. And he did also hint at USC not just having the traditional, you know, 6'5", 260-pound tight ends, but also potentially some H-backs, some fullbacks that they might be recruiting. And they had some of those at Oklahoma in that offense, guys that they use in motion, and they get north and south and get some wham blocks going, you know, get some plays going with a guy that might be 6'1", you know, 6'2", 235 pounds, and not really a tight end, but more of a guy that's going to be a fullback, which is kind of a, a position that's, you know, been extinct, uh, extinct in, in, you know, previous offenses. And certainly in college football as a whole, you just don't see a lot of, uh, but if you want to run the ball and you want to be a good running team, you want to have some balance. Yes. You're going to have to get somebody going North and South blocking those linebackers. And so that's going to be interesting as well, because you have a guy that's a coach there that has uh, some experience being an actual run block coach. You know, we're not looking at a, a receiver's coach that's coming in to say, okay, you know, this is how you run block up the line. It's a completely different thing. When you're an inline tight end and you got your hand on the ground, blocking in that box against those bodies is completely different than being out there past the hash marks and you're blocking some safety or some cornerback. Exactly. All right. Uh, well, that's it. Uh, we also didn't, we well, didn't hear from Dave Nickel, the inside wide receivers coach and associate head coach. Um, but that's a lot, a lot of detail on what all the assistant coaches had to say from Gerard. Why don't we take a quick break and we'll come back. We got a few other topics we want to talk about and we got some questions to get to. So back in a minute. All right, we're back here on the Peristyle Podcast. It's Ryan Abraham and Gerard Martinez. Why don't we start with um, something we've never said before? Gerard, like you wake up this morning, if you turn on, you know, if you still have, uh, you could have an antenna, you could have uh, basic cable, whatever, if you know, your local uh, ABC station and Good Morning America comes on in the morning, a national, uh, you know, morning show, not your local news, anything like that. USC's quarterback was on Good Morning America. I think Chris Torino tweeted, not Good Morning Football, like not on the NFL Network. This is Good Morning America. Caleb Williams uh, with Robin Roberts, about six minutes or so. Um, it was interesting. If you hadn't, We have links all over uscfootball.com, like a summary of it. But also uh, you can check out the videos on the Peristyle people have posted. I'll give you a few notes from it. Um, so he, uh, he, his dad had you know, asked him for a list of schools in high school and all he said was, you can't go to Alabama. So Alabama was not going to be on Caleb Williams' list, but USC, he said, was on the top of his list up up the top. Um, he actually was asked about Oklahoma fans reacting, and he says, you know, they've reacted how he's expected, and he still loves the fans. He slipped in a new uh, NIL deal he's got with a company called Action Water. Um, just sort of slid that in there. Robin Roberts actually comment, you know, commented about how he was like a pro about doing that. But obviously he's got the Beats and some other ones. He's doing some nail art stuff. His, his mom has been involved in that for quite a while, and he has a foundation called Caleb Cares that helps to combat bullying. So just him showing his nails on national TV. Uh, he had like kind of a Valentine-themed thing going on there. And just, you know, he said he wasn't bullied, but he wants to help kids that, that have been. And just he can express himself. Uh, and I think, you know, him doing that, I think, might help other kids 
do that as well. So it's kind of cool that he's already got a foundation going. Um, but uh, overall, I thought he, he represented himself really well on national television. And uh, this is a whole different, I mean, to wake up and see that Gerard was just kind of a weird deal. Yeah, I didn't watch it. So I can't really comment on uh, the show itself. Um, but uh, certainly it's good for USC from the standpoint of exposure and the standpoint of, you know, the NIL aspect of things and, you know, how that's going to play into college football. And uh, we're still kind of figuring it out. You know, I think we've got a couple years here where uh, we're going to see kind of where it goes and, and how it changes college football uh, for better or for worse. Uh, but certainly, you know, being able to have um, your quarterback, uh, which is, uh, I guess you would say your star quarterback. I mean, he's a star quarterback. It's just he hasn't been a star quarterback for USC yet, so it's a little strange to say he's USC star quarterback. Uh, at this point, it's, you know, we have to kind of wait and see what he's able to do at USC uh, here in the near future. But um, certainly uh, that's uh, kind of going outside the lines of the normal sports center, sports take perspective uh, on uh on a college football player, you know, kind of going outside the lines and um, speaking to the casual uh, housewife and, uh, you know, people that are not necessarily even sports fans because uh, Good Morning America is, is not uh, really, uh, that's not the demographic that they're shooting for. So you're going outside the lines and that, uh, again, exposure-wise is really good for USC and uh, the future of being able to sell the program to student-athletes who want to, uh, be more than just football players in the eyes of the public. Yeah, he also went on, uh, talked with Pete Thamel, who's over at ESPN, and I'll give you a couple of the quotes from what he said in that article. He says, I want USC to be back to the old USC that everyone thinks of. It's been a rough couple of years, but we've got the right coaches and players in place. The guys want to win. We're going to bring some other guys in that are going to be impact players for us. Um, he also said, we're going to bring some other guys in. I'm sorry, he's that are be impact players for us. But he also said that they're you know, going to be winning now. Uh, they're trying to win now. This isn't building for the future. So the way they hit the portal, um, that would make sense. But uh, good on Caleb Williams. They're, he didn't speak at all his freshman year. Lincoln Riley didn't let him speak at all uh, because he was a freshman. And now he's doing Good Morning America. I mean, I, I don't know how different that could be. Um, to go from like not speaking at all to being on Good Morning America, where like no college football players. But I don't know when the last time a college football player has been on that. I mean, maybe someone that like won the Heisman or something. But I I don't know when that would have happened. No, I I mean I have no reference for it. I don't watch Good Morning America, so I could tell neither, you if no. they have guys on every weekend. But I don't think so. <laughs> I don't. Maybe yeah, like you said, there's a Heisman Trophy winner or somebody at some point. But yeah, I mean that's kind of out of left field and. Again, I mean, maybe there's a little bit of flexing there by USC. Maybe it's just a little bit of flexing by Caleb Williams because he has, uh, you know, been very savvy when it comes to uh, his business deals and the exposure and trying to get these things out there and, and working with various people behind the scenes. He has a team of people when it comes to name, image, likeness, and, and people that are very experienced uh, dealing with the NCAA when it comes to this. Uh, not only from a compliance standpoint, but just from a business standpoint. So he's got an agent, he's got lawyers, he's got people that are working on this. And so uh, none of this is just sort of, hey, it popped up and we decided to do this. I mean, everything he's done for the last you know couple of months has been, I think, very measured. Yeah. Um, you also were a recruiting event over the weekend. I know you got to talk to uh, 
five-star quarterback, uh, Malachi Nelson, his former Oklahoma committees now committed to USC and Lincoln Riley. And uh, was there some sort of Nelson Caleb Williams connection there? You want to share with the, with the listeners? Oh yeah. There's a very strong uh, <laughs> Malachi Nelson, uh, Caleb Williams connection there that, that goes back to, I think when Nelson was in the eighth grade, uh, they had met at the quarterback collective, which is a, a re- it's a it's a camp uh, slash quarterback event, um, sort of like the Elite Eleven, uh, where you have uh, some professional players and some instructors that have uh, NFL experience that bring in quarterbacks and and tutor them and instruct them uh, through you know like a week period and uh, they do some on the field stuff but they do a lot of off the field stuff uh, with uh, uh, the the whiteboard and then watching film and then some of the aspects that go outside of uh of football and, and sort of the situation that Caleb Williams found himself in today where you know how are you as a quarterback going to be a spokesman for your team and, and for yourself and how to handle yourself in those types of situations because that is asked of the quarterback especially this point in time uh we are in today's college football and, and football in general so uh he and Caleb met many many years ago and uh, had had a relationship and he kind of talked about you know, how Caleb, when he decided to pick Oklahoma, how he recruited uh, Malachi to Oklahoma. And he says it's kind of weird because <laughs> then, you know, Lincoln Riley goes to USC and I decommit from Oklahoma and I end up committing USC. And it was like, you know, all of a sudden uh, the, the tables had turned and I was recruiting him to USC. And, and obviously both of those things happened where, you know, I was uh, ended up going to Oklahoma and then uh, he ended up going to USC. So uh, he's a, a big fan of, of Caleb. And I think um, Caleb is one of the few players that, you know, he was willing to come in and learn from and, and, and kind of uh, sit behind. Uh, he's going to come in, he's going to compete in 2023, but uh, I think he's excited to, to watch Caleb Williams. And I asked, him about you know the impact that Caleb brings at that quarterback position obviously with Nelson being a quarterback himself you know Malik has a little different perspective on on how much impact he can really bring and he went all in on it you know he said and I'll give you just the quote um, they're going to be up there for sure talking about USC next year Uh, they're going to make a run at the playoffs 100 percent they have the talent to do it and they're well coached Uh, it would be embarrassing for them not to and I know they will. And so it's kind of taking on, I think, you know, Riley's um, attitude towards it, that uh, they feel like they should be in that conversation, not necessarily guaranteeing they'll be in the playoff, but being in the conversation, which is saying, you know, they should be a top 10 team next year is basically how I interpret that. And uh, he talked a lot about the development factor from Lincoln Riley and the organization, because we talked a little bit about the junior day that USC had a couple of weeks ago, and the differences between being on campus uh, for Malachi uh, just recently and in the past with the past staff. And he said, it was just the organization was, was at a different level. You know, everything was sort of taken care of uh, all the different coaches and the staff members made sure that they got FaceTime with every player that they invited. Um, it was a well-oiled machine and, and it's really only going to get better from this point. You know, the coaches are, are still trying to move out here and they're still kind of in a transfer situation themselves uh, where they're trying to acclimate and, and, and hit the ground running and then they're going to have spring ball. And I, I think, you know, once they get into the summer, that's when they really start to hit a uh, full stride, if you will. And so he was really looking forward to it and was excited about it. And again, has uh, very high expectations for USC next year with Caleb uh, under center. 
Um, one other thing I wanted to talk to you about, Gerard, before we uh, move on is Lincoln Riley taking advantage. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but the Super Bowl is in town. Uh, <laughs> SoFi Stadium, the Los Angeles Rams, Cincinnati Bengals. Um, they are taking, they're going to do the Super Bowl two years in a row. You have a home team uh, in the Super Bowl, and the Rams will be that home team this year. But a lot of media has been assembled here in Los Angeles for you know the Super Bowl and. Seems like Lincoln Riley jumped on that as an opportunity. He's gone on Colin Coward's show, number of different podcasts and national uh, with national members of the media kind of talking about just about everything around USC football. I, I mean, I've seen some of these. I don't think there's anything super groundbreaking. It was funny with Colin Coward because Coward's a big fan and uh, is an advocate for USC. And you know, we've had him on the show. We'll have him on the show again. He lights up when he talks about Lincoln Riley, he loves it. He t- trolls like some of the Oklahoma fans on Twitter um, and all that. But, you know, he he was speaking from a fan's point of view, Gerard. I don't know if you got to see it. But he had said, like, you got to be careful, Lincoln. When you tweet out those fight on emojis, there's people like us, you know, like him that are like hanging on every word. You're going to kill, you know, give a USC fan base like a heart attack of what you're doing. So just be, he's like, use them like judiciously or something like that. And uh, Lincoln Riley made the little, kind of quick comment of, there's a lot more coming. So, um, yeah, I, I thought he's represented himself really well on the, these media tours he's been on. I don't, any thoughts from what you've heard or seen from Lincoln Riley uh, talking to the media? Yeah, I mean, obviously taking advantage of the exposure from a national standpoint, I'm sure he gets a lot of exposure in Oklahoma and maybe that region, you know, even going into Texas. But now you're able to go coast to coast with some of these shows and um, some of the 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 avenues that you have and the people that you're able to reach. Um, but I think first and foremost, it has a big impact locally. And, and that's really where USC has to start. And I think they know that you have to, you know, build the wall and buckle down and, and get this, this sort of uh, 2023 class. I wrote a piece that was a little bit of a roadmap as to USC uh, really turning things around and, and sort of how it has to start. And certainly it starts with uh, some of these transfers and uh, this is, initial team is going to be uh, full of mercenaries, you know, and they're going to have to figure that out a little bit. You're bringing in a bunch of guys uh, from the porthole, as we like to call it. And some of these guys are going to be very focused on, Hey, I, I just want to get in and I want to get out. You know, I want to get to USC. I want to have a big year. I want to go to the NFL. And um, you, you got to have brick and you got to have mortar to have a strong wall and some of these guys might be a little bit too much brick and not enough mortar. And so there's going to have to be some balance there. You know, some guys are going to have to, you know, just kind of understand that uh, you're going to have to work and be a good teammate and have chemistry in order to have a really good team. You, you know, I've seen some really good teams um, lose games that they should not lose uh, just because they don't have that chemistry and they don't have uh, the guys that sort of are the glue guys that gel everything together. So, from that standpoint, there will be some challenges and there'll be some things that uh, Lincoln Riley is going to find unique to winning games at USC, uh, certainly initially. And so we'll see how that goes. But uh, I think with the 2023 class, uh, as you transition, because the weird thing about the recruiting process and the recruiting cycles, you know, we always looked at a recruiting cycle is really two years uh, for most colleges. They're, they're kind of looking at this year, what you get, and then how that impacts next year and what you have next year which can supplement for what you may not get this year and so there's always that interaction but now you're sort of almost breaking it up into quarters because you have 
the transfers, which are not really starting to visit and look at schools until the end of the year, going into January. And at that point, you're already wrapping up the previous high school class. So going forward, and, and the coaches talked a little bit about this and the craziness of it. I mean, Sean Nua talked about how crazy and nuts it is, uh, the portal and, and trying to recruit out of the portal and, and, and the, you know, that sort of truncated period of recruitment that you get. Um, the overlap that you're getting now. And in the future, USC wants to build uh, their roster around the high school football players. And I think that's the smart thing, and that's, that's the thing you want to do. It's very tempting. You know, they talked a little bit about how tempting it is to, to look at a high school football player and, and all of the unknowns that you have, you know, everything that you're putting on potential, and then looking at a guy that's a ready-made college football player that you have two years of film on from a Power 5 school. And it's like, how do you – how do you go and take that high school football player with all the unknowns over a guy that has uh, tape and film at the high, at the college level? And, and he has grades also, you know, academically, you're not worried about that paperwork and him maybe not having a class or having to take summer school uh, at the last minute. So there's some, some things that you have to weigh there, but I think in future, they definitely are not going to have the transfer heavy class that they're going to have this year. And so moving forward, you're talking and you're speaking to those juniors and those 2023 kids and trying to build that core. And and we know what that core is going to look like because it was basically an unofficial visitor uh, group that they brought in in late December for a recruiting dinner. And they had about a dozen players there, uh, local players that that that's the circle of okay, that's what we want to be the core of this 2023 class. And that's going to be Lincoln Riley's first real recruiting class for USC. And that's going to be very significant. And I think as we get in to that 2023 year, we really get to start to see the actual philosophy and the, the buy-in from the, the freshman level and how that sort of takes the momentum of what they're able to do in 2022 and push forward to being an actual elite, consistent national championship contender because that's that's really the key it's not getting to a rose bowl it's not getting to two rose bowls it's you know making the rose bowl uh such a a a consistent yearly thing that trojan fans are actually bored of it you remember those days when trojan fans used to go i guess we're just going to the rose bowl play illinois I really would rather go to the Fiesta Bowl or go somewhere else. Like that's that's where you want to be at at USC. You want to be at the point yeah. where you're you're actually um, you're 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 not grateful for a Rose Bowl. Um, and so that that's that's where I think you know right now Lincoln uh, is really speaking more locally than 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 he is nationally. Even though it's it's going national and and this will be you know even bigger for him down the road if USC is able to win. If USC is able to get consistently into that national championship picture and, and the college football playoff picture, then I think what he's saying it will ha- it will resonate even more in some of these you know places in, in in the South and in the East. And when you're trying to get this specific kid or that specific kid, and you're trying to cherry pick, um, but now it's really I think it's more resonating locally, and it has to because that's where they're going to build. That's, that's sort of going to be where the foundation comes from for 2023. And so, um, you know, the more that uh, it's out there, I think the better impact it will have for USC. So I think, you know, what he's doing now and in, in, in involved, I think long-term it will be probably more beneficial than it even is right now, because there's still a lot of questions. There's still uh, a, a lot of folks that uh, around college football are still going, well, you know what, 
He was really good at Oklahoma, but Oklahoma was pretty good before he got there. Now he's got to rebuild. You know, this is a different situation that he's going to be in. And, um, again, you know, expectations are high, but you kind of have to sort of take it with uh, a little bit of a grain of salt, you know, and, and, and understand that this is a different circumstance and a different situation. All right. We, uh, we got some questions to get to now. Oh, I wanted to mention um, the roster real quick. I'll do that just quickly. But if you want to check out our scholarship distribution chart over on uscfootball.com, uh, very top of the page, you go to the right, there's those three little dots and you go down, there's a scholarship distribution chart, but it kind of tells you where everyone is. It's going to change still. Like we mentioned, Lincoln Riley said that there's going to be more fight on emojis. We're going to, like we mentioned with uh, Dante Williams saying that all the starters were going to be gone, suggesting that Isaiah Polamal probably is not going to be around uh, any longer. But right now I got the, the class at 80 uh, or the, the, the roster at 80 scholarship players with 23 freshmen, 36 uh, sophomores, 10 juniors, and 11 seniors. Um, bunch of transfers out, bunch of transfers in. It's been a little crazy. I think it was up to 33 players have left the program, um, including, I think, like 18 transfers out. You got NFL declarations, guys that just graduated, and uh, 13 players into the program. But I, I think this is probably going to be somewhat stable until spring football is over, Gerard. But any kind of thoughts on where the roster stands right now? Yeah, it, there'll be some stability here. I mean, we're in a recruiting dead period, and so you're not going to see these transfers really come in for visits until you get into April, late April. Uh, and we'll see how USC does that. You know, we couldn't do that last year because of COVID. So you didn't have official visits until June. And then it was just floodgates opening. And that was all about getting the high school kids back on campus because they hadn't been able to be on campus legally uh, and meet with coaches uh, for a whole year. So it's going to be different this year. You can spread it out a little more. You can have official visits there at the end of April and going into May. May is difficult because you're juggling the May evaluation period. And a lot of coaches are maybe not on campus. And so it's tough on those guys to be out and you're on the East coast and you're recruiting and all of a sudden it's like, okay, we're going to have a couple guys coming in at your position. You got to come back to the West coast and be on campus for 48 hours to host these official visits. And then you're back out on the road again. So that's going to take a lot of organization. And then it's a, again, a little bit of a juggling act there. Um, but I'm thinking USC will probably have a weekend or two in there where they do bring official visitors in. Oklahoma did it a little differently than, than USC did it last year. Even with June official visitors, you had, something like one weekend where they had like 16 official visitors. They had like a big barbecue weekend and did all this crazy stuff. That, that seems a little overkill to me. I don't know how it I think it was successful for them, but that's a lot. I mean, that's putting a lot on your coaching staff. When you start to get into double digit uh, official visitors, all sort of in one, you know, 48 hour, 72 hour period. It's just, it's, it's tough. Um, I think it's, Usually a little better to spread out. You can spend more time with individual players. And obviously it depends on the level of players that you have that you're bringing in and how much time you want to spend with each individual family. Um, but I think that's really where we're going to see the second wave of transfers. And we're going to see a second wave of transfers. I have no doubt that we may see as many guys transferring in and transferring out as we saw in January. Uh, I mean, we're going to see the spring football period be an evaluation for USC, a self-evaluation period where they're going to see what they really have. You know, you're getting some off-season workouts and you're maybe watching a little bit of film from last year. I don't think the coaches want to take too much bias in from what they've seen on, 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 on past film, just because you also had 
past coaching staff there, uh, they really are going to probably put more emphasis on spring ball. It's going to be interesting to see what we get out of spring ball because of that. Are we going to see more contact periods? Are we going to see more competitive periods? Are we going to see more one-on-ones? Are we going to see more scrimmages? Uh, certainly with Clay Helton, we know that uh, contact was something that he uh, tried to sidestep as much as possible. And, and with spring ball, it was pretty useless in terms of really watching the, the team do a whole lot. You know, you might might have gotten like a practice or two where you go, okay, that was a good practice. We got to see some competitive periods. And it's not all about contact. I mean, competitive periods are just one-on-one period. You know, it's just a period of, hey, dog versus dog, let's go. Let's see. It's, does, our, does iron sharpen iron? Does it? It doesn't have to necessarily be guys full, you know, full tackling, full pads all the time, but it does have to be competitive. And we just didn't see a lot of that in spring ball. Spring ball was a bit of an exhibition under Clay Helton. So we're going to see if that changes. And just, you know, because it's this year and they really need to see who they have and who they don't have, uh, you know, are they going to just push some guys to go in there and get out there uh, so they can get a self-evaluation knowing that, Hey, look, if we don't like these guys, we might have the ability to go into the portal and be able to grab uh, somebody at that position who's going to be a, a better contributor for us. All right. We got a few questions and then we'll get going. Matt, we've already gone. We're like an hour, 15 minutes already, Gerard. We haven't even done questions yet. Um, Arizona, so we'll go through these quick. Arizona Jack wrote in. Remember a few weeks ago I called the Caleb Williams announcement to be on the day before National Signing Day. Now what do you think? I was right about the day and I still, I still feel – my reasons are valid for choosing the day. It will help flipping targets. Um, okay, Arizona Jack, I kind of remember this, but you should probably like refresh your memory if you're going to mention something that you wrote into us because we probably don't have it in the top of our mind. But I think he was saying they were going to wait. He was Caleb Williams was going to wait until the day before signing day to flip a bunch of recruits. Well, nobody flipped. So you were right about the day, but no one. This like Gerard said, it's a two year process. Like having him announce. 24 hours or less before players are going to sign. Uh, it didn't help USC at all on national signing day. And that, I don't think that was the plan at all, but any thoughts on that Gerard? Yeah, no, you're not going to, especially the second signing day, you know, for the first signing day where you have more players that might be on the fence and that early signing period is definitely more chaos than the second signing period. Second signing period anymore is pretty benign and, most of those kids are, are pretty much set on where they're going to end up committing, and there's not a lot of guys on the fence, and USC wasn't involved with a lot of guys on the fence. So, yeah. um, you know, perhaps Caleb Williams um, committing to USC and being at USC, it, it helps them with Josh Carnley. Uh, sounds like, uh, you know, there's, there's already a, a little bit of a social media connection. I think Caleb Williams had followed Josh Connerly, and Josh Connerly had, had made some comments about, um, you know, what if uh, Caleb uh, Williams ends up at USC? Um, so that could definitely be a, a good thing for USC and, and having Malachi Nelson already there. Uh, you basically have the starting quarterback position uh, solidified for the next five or six years. And that's a big deal, you know, especially if you're a left tackle and, you know, you've got a guy there that's going to help you look good. You know, Caleb Williams is going to help that offensive line look good. We talked about, you know, him extending plays and using his feet to be able to make big plays. And uh, so that's that's going to be something that I think helps, you know, with recruiting uh, on offense specifically. Um, although Caleb Williams has definitely made some comments behind the scenes, a uh, little off record things that we've heard that uh, he doesn't want to uh, just focus on offense. He wants to go out and uh, make sure he has an impact on the recruiting process on the defensive side of the ball as well. So we'll look for that. We'll see that. That, again, goes into uh, this sort of second half of the transfers that we're going to see coming in you know, all the way up until potentially uh, the beginning of fall camp. Yeah. We got an unsigned email, uh, all caps. Uh, 
in all the excitement and enthusiasm, let's not forget Mike Bone. He was accessible, positive, and great at Colorado, but what he's done at USC is amazing. Um, yeah, I would agree. Whoever I didn't sign it, but uh, Mike Bone has done a really good job, and I know there was a lot of criticism there, so just getting this hire right and uh, the way they've handled things around the hire has been really good, too. It wasn't just like, oh, the hire got lucky. The way they've rolled this out, I think that's, it shows that there was a lot of planning and stuff going into this. Um, Jack from New Jersey wrote in. He said, Ryan, with the NCPA's complaint, uh, with the NLRB result in killing the, is, will, oh, sorry, will the NCPA's complaint with the NLRB result in killing the goose that laid the golden egg? Do you know what he's talking about here? Uh, <laughs> this is, no. This is the, um, there's a, that group that was a former UC, UCLA player that, uh, they were involved in um, some of the, the player movements before, but they're basically like, it's like they're, it's some motion in the state of California to go after USC and UCLA saying that they're um, the college athletes like uh, basketball and football are actually employees. Um, so that's the kind of thing that's going on there. He says, well, I have no objection to student athletes benefiting from NIL as they should. Will employee status move the needle in college football to the, quote, Premier League formation you spoke about around a year ago? My fear is that a loss of, quote, traditions in college football may eventually drive fans away and create a small group of haves and a much larger group of have-nots, which may create a loss in interest in the sport for the have-nots, alumni, and student bodies. Just a thought, Jack from New Jersey. Um, Yeah, the the employee thing is weird. Uh, I don't know much about this legislation that's going through. Cultural ball is already regionalized and they need it to be more national. There's already haves and have nots um, still popular, but I think, you know, college basketball was huge and it's, you know, the, the one and done stuff. I think people have very little interest in or comparatively in college basketball now than they did before. Um, cultural ball is still big, but it's, it's become very regionalized. And I think you need, I, I don't think something like this is going to help. Um, there's, you know, college football is going to involve the transfer portal, uh, NIL, things like that. There's already some fans that don't like it, but you know, if your teams do it well, you'll be fine. It's just, it's tough when there's only one region of the country that's doing anything in college football right now. And that's the way it is. So if, you know, Michigan making in the playoff and Cincinnati, that's great. You know, if, if the West coast can get involved in college football, I think all that stuff's going to help, but I don't know. I don't, the whole like employee thing, I think you're opening a big can of worms there. And I don't, I don't know if like one state legislation is going to to help with that. But any thoughts on that, Gerard? There's a lot of thoughts. This is a podcast in and of itself. When you start getting into okay, we don't have a ton of time. <laughs> I, I realize that. I realize that. When you start to talk about college athletes being employees, you bring in Uncle Sam because now you're talking about the schools losing their nonprofit status because they're employing uh, these individuals for work. And with Uncle Sam comes the IRS and none of these universities want anything to do with that. If that came to be and the New York rule for NIL originally incorporated uh, some of this uh, verbiage in uh, making the universities uh, have to acknowledge that these players were employees. Everybody needs to stay very well away from that because if that becomes um, the 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 rule and, and they they have to acknowledge uh, the players as, as employees, 
It will involve with them having to pay taxes. That's going to take a huge chunk out of the profit margins that they have. And I think eventually what it'll do, it will end college football together. I, I mean, that's, that's how it's been um, said to me. And, and, you know, is that a, is that just colleges saying this so they can stay away from having to pay taxes? Potentially, you know, oh, it'll be, it'll be the end of us. But I, I do think that you're already looking at uh, margins uh, going down a bit for, for some of these universities and it being just less profitable and there being less motivation to keeping college football as is. And the, the less money that can be made there, um, the less they're going to put into it and the less they're going to care about it. And eventually it could end up being, you know, Ivy League across college football, where it's like, listen, we're not paying anybody anything for anything. They're not going to be employees. We're going to give them scholarships, uh, half scholarships, quarter scholarships, whatever it is. And you'll just have the majority of the players go to a farm system like it is in baseball. And you'll have, you know, the Ranch Cucamonga Titans and uh, the the Costa Mesa, um, you know, Pirates. And that will be what college football uh, really becomes in terms of the top end players go to those systems and they're there for a year or two and they get developed and then they go on to the NFL and and that's the way it'll happen. So that, that would be my thought on uh, if college football across the board, uh, let alone California becomes um, where they have to acknowledge the athletes as actual university employees and they have to get them benefits. I mean, there's a whole lot that goes into that conversation, but from everything that I've heard and read about, and just when you take a step back and look at it, it just seems like it's all bad, at least all bad for how we look at college football today and what it is today. Um, it would take a big chunk of the revenue out. And that's not even including the fact that with NIL right now, what nobody's talking about is the collective and the collective bargaining agreements that are going to have to come forward when you have electronic sports that wants to put a video game out. And they don't just want to have a video game that has Bryce Young and Caleb Williams. They want to have a video game that has you know, 1,200 college football players with their name, image, and likeness included in the game. Well, all those guys got to get paid. Who's going to negotiate that? Nobody's stepped up yet. There's companies that are kind of sort of working in the shadows right now that are trying to position themselves and angle themselves to be that. But, you know, in the NFL, you have players, Inc. You have uh, the, the, the players' union. None of this is really being talked about. But I think on the bigger scale of, you know, these merchandising deals and if – Players start wanting to come to the table and get involved in the TV money. I mean, again, these are all things that threaten what college football is today. And you threaten how much money the universities are making. And, again, the less money they make, the less motivation they have to keep things the way they are. And at some point they're going to go, you know what? It's just not worth right now. It's just not worth us. We're, we can make more money doing other things, uh, being universities and keeping our nonprofit status. Uh, let these guys that want to get paid millions of dollars go get paid millions of dollars through the NFL and farm systems. So, you know, eventually I think that would be how it plays out. And that could eventually, again, even without the employee thing, that could still be how, you know, we see college football basically eventually uh, fade into the oblivion, sort of like college baseball is. Yeah. Uh, Let's see. We got a couple more. Uh, this one is from Dan Klaus of 1962. He says, great interviews with the NIL guy. He's a star. I forgot the name. Uh, that was Peter Schoenthal from uh, uh, Peter Schoenthal we had on last week along with Sua Cravens. And he said, and Sua, whose honest comments are so refreshing, in the 1920s and 30s and 40s, many Trojan athletes were in the movies, including Marilyn, uh, Marion Morrison, a.k.a. John Wayne, 
and uh, Ward Bond. USC School of Cinema was and is a great training ground for Hollywood. Need I mention George Lucas and Ron Howard? So NIL is just coming full circle with the USC tradition, giving student-athletes the business and legal skills to help them with NIL and their future lives, uh, with their future lives uh, in general. It's a fantastic educational opportunity for all athletes at USC. How can fans find out what NIL deals athletes at USC are obtaining? Not only football athletes, but all USC athletes. I hope that Keeley is doing, uh, enjoying her new job. Fight on a win, Dan, of class of 1962. Yeah, that's something Peter talked about on the show, Gerard, last week is uh, we're not going to get a lot of data on this for probably like three or four years. Um, but yeah, there it's uh, it's all still kind of being developed. There's no like database that shows what everyone's deals are right now. So it's just kind of that's where things are. But uh, the NIL yeah, you're not going to know what everyone's deals are. I mean, that's that's financial information that is not going to be made public across the board you know but there's some schools that have to there's some schools that have to provide that and usc might be what i forget but there's like state laws like there's a state law and like florida's trying to change their law because it's a little it was the first one that went enacted but it's a little more restrictive than some i think alabama's is some like that way too if you don't have a state law i'm confused what do you mean they have to see here's the here's the thing you have to like have have a database of like you have to disclose what your deal is because like compliance gets involved um you know it depending on the state and the school um but you you might have to disclose what all those deals are well i don't know anything about that i i I have not heard that i i can only say this is this is the, the gray area and the sticky point with all of this, and and there are different state rules, and, and that, you know, South Carolina and Texas right now have a state rule that says that you cannot use trademarks of universities in NIL products. Okay, that's kind of a big deal, right? That's 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 a big deal if you have a product that is in line with your likeness as a football player. Obviously, that company is going to want to use those trademarks and those logos uh, with your football um, merchandise. And so there's there's states that have actual laws, and those laws are in place for a, a very good reason. They're not going to remain in place because Texas and South Carolina want to be competitive in the NIL market. But the reason those laws are in place is because they got to have a buffer between the schools being involved with these deals that is again when you get into the employee aspect of all these conversations and how universities want to stay as far away as possible from being looked at like that by the government they do not want to be involved in the financial deals of these players directly like that now i understand there are compliance um things that have to be observed because you can't have boosters just, you know, paying guys. There's, there's all kinds of questions even right now. I mean, the Texas deal where you've got the pancake club and every lineman gets $50,000, that's obviously being scrutinized and, and, and criticized to some extent. There's some other things that are out there that, you know, it, it sort of looks like the university is uh, uh, involved with making these deals happen, and they, they can't be. That's that's the thing. You know, we talk about USC and all the exposure with L.A. Well, that's just USC being in L.A and USC having some famous alums, but the school itself cannot be involved in uh, propagating these deals uh, right. directly. So so you th- there's got to be that sort of buffer. So when you're talking about, you know, compliance is just there to say, okay, you know, this is okay because there's nobody on the university side 
um, that's uh, that's an employee or anything that has been involved with making this deal happen. Um, this all came from the the player side of of it, the agent side, or 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 the industry side, the business side from that private organization or that company, that corporation that wants to use this player to endorse their goods. Um, so it it's a it's a very that's the gray area that that people are some people in, in, are obviously taking advantage of boosters at certain schools and things, um, and maybe even certain schools. Uh, but that's what has to really be cleaned up first and foremost, probably, um, in all of this. I don't know that's going to get cleaned up first and foremost, but that's what we would all like to see a little more sort of cut and dry. Hey, look, here's the line. And if you cross it, you actually get in trouble. Um, of course, you know, who's going to actually uh, enforce that? Is it going to be the NCAA? You know, a lot of people are questioning, what is the NCAA anymore? You know, where do they come in with all of this? Is it just an enforcement staff anymore? Um, or does the NCAA sort of parlay itself and become a, a player's union of some sort, which would be ironic, but <laughs> nevertheless, uh, their usefulness right now is in question. Yeah. All right. We got one last one. It's a voicemail from our buddy Curtis. Hey, Ryan, it's Curtis. Hey, man, Oklahoma fan really hates us. I saw on Twitter where they tried to make fun of you for offering a discount for the Peristyle membership. Like you were desperate. There's no USC fans. That's why the price was so low. Well, I got something for you, Oklahoma fan. I know you're listening. We took your coach. We took your players. And we took your assistants and coordinators. I understand that you're angry about that. But you should really be mad at us. About the last time you played for a championship, remember when you got destroyed? The game was over in the first half. You laid down. You didn't even try. How does that even feel? Don't ever talk to us about football. And if you want the refs, check back to the last championship game, the last game we played against each other. And just to remind you, Oklahoma fans, history has a strange way of repeating itself. Curtis from Moreno Valley. Hey, Curtis. Uh, yeah, there's obviously if you're if you're a USC fan on Twitter or the message boards, you're hearing a lot from Oklahoma fans. Um, it's a it's a weird one. I know that was some that was talking trash. Like, there's some weird trash talking that goes on that just doesn't um, make sense. Like every site in the network offered that same deal so uh there's some weird stuff going on i don't know what to say about i, I don't even think we want to address it gerard just like it's just one of those things where they're a little salty about riley leaving for usc and so that's kind of where it is right now i'll be honest with you we should have just ended the podcast on that voicemail i think that was <laughs> that was as usual curtis from marino valley comes in and he says it like it is and he just mic dropped so I don't really have anything to say. I feel like uh, we should probably just edit out everything that we've said so far and just cut it off on the last words from Curtis. I like it. All right. Well, we'll we'll keep our last words in there, but we will end it on that. But that's Gerard Martinez. I'm Ryan Abraham. Get you uh, 90 minutes of USC football talk. So hope you enjoyed it. Some trips down memory lane, talking about all the assistant coaches, Lincoln Riley, Cave Williams, all that kind of stuff. So for Gerard, I am Ryan Abraham. Thank you so much for tuning in the Peristyle Podcast. Thanks to Trader Joe's. And thanks to all of you, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. 
People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices. Every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 